Coming up on episode 101 of Appetite for Distortion, Dr. Stephen Thaxton. Who? You should know. The Guns N' Roses chiropractor? How do you not know that? He toured with GNR all throughout Use Your Illusion, and he's been touring the last couple decades with Bon Jovi. We're going to get some great stories from him, and also our good buddy, former GNR manager, Doug Goldstein, joins as well. Welcome to the podcast. Do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? This is Appetite for Distortion. Welcome to the podcast, Appetite for Distortion. It is Brando, episode 101. Uh, so we're officially in the triple digits. I appreciate everybody uh, just congratulating me on 100 episodes. I mean, I, I don't know. What's to congratulate on? I'm not making any money off it. Um, <laughs> I'm meeting a lot of cool people, having a lot of cool interviews. So yeah, sure. I think this, uh, this episode is going to be a, a continuation of that, but a good jumping off point is that people kept asking me what was one of my, my favorite episode. Too many to name. Of course, the one with Doug Goldstein was one of my favorites. Uh, <laughs> but we did something unique, uh, I think, on the podcast, because I come from FM, which I say, and the creativity is really limited, uh, is that uh, I guess I did interview Roberta Freeman by herself, but I had her come on in another episode, just like Doug Goldstein is doing right now. Uh, so my my co-host uh, for this episode is is Doug Doug Goldstein. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Brando. Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Glad that you landed you safely. Let, you let me bring on my favorite person. <laughs> I know because so, it was that's the. Why, that's why the next guest is on because he's my favorite guy. Favorite guy because uh, that's what the, the stories that we're going to get. I think are, are going to be just as unique as the stories that when we had Roberta Freeman as a co-host and Teddy Zigzag as the guest, and there were things that you know being on tour together for over two years, they would tell each other and like, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Especially when we were talking yeah. about the, uh, you know, all the, um, you know, the riots and all that stuff. But so now we have. Who, who's Doug's favorite person in the world? I, I mean, other than his his wife, I'm sure. I'm, I'm assuming. <laughs> well, she's not listening to this, Brenda. Okay. Doctor Stephen Thaxton, my favorite doctor in the world, knows more about the human body than anybody I've ever met. So when Doug, I said because I wanted to have Doug on, and I'm, I'm so grateful. And I joked before, uh, what am I to be congratulated on? But to become friendly with Doug Goldstein has been. One of the many treats of doing this this podcast. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. So, uh, w- coming up for future episodes, because how many times I don't want to keep interviewing you, Doug. I mean, I, you got to save it all for your book. You know, I want to keep yeah, talking right. to you, but yeah. I, I don't want to keep peppering you with questions. So let's get creative. And you're like, you know what? Let's get some team members from Use Your Illusion on. Let's do that. And I didn't know what you meant at, at first. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't going to be Axel or Slash or anything like that. But, you know, it's the team members, the, everyone that, that helps every, every day possible that you may not know the name. So when you said Dr. Stephen Thaxton, a chiropractor, I'm like, you know what? I like this. I like this. 
But I think before, uh, and I'll, I'll shut up in a, in a second, Dr. Steve. I just like how this is said on the uh, Worldwide Chiropractic and Sports Medicine website. Uh, Dr. Thaxon began his career uh, early, quote, on the road as, a pers- as the personal chiropractor and fitness consultant for the rock band Guns N' Roses. And they show how nerdy the chiropractor website is. They put dashes uh, before and after the end. That's not how you write Guns N' Roses. Uh, for their two-and-a-half-year world tour. Uh, you also have been John, uh, Bon Jovi's personal chiropractor and fitness consultant for the past decade, including four world tours. So you are just not a chiropractor. You're the rock and roll chiropractor. So welcome officially to the AFD show, Dr. Steve. <laughs> Thank you, Brandon. I, I've been blessed beyond my wildest imagination. I can tell you that. And uh, when I when Doug first hired me on for that tour, it, it was uh, how do you live after that? Because it was my favorite band. Okay. Uh, and I'm on tour with them. And, you know, I, how do I even, how do I ever live past that? And I'm sure tried, but that was one heck of a way to start a career. Cause the truth is, uh, and it took me 20 some years to tell Doug this, but technically I hadn't even graduated from chiropractic. School. <laughs> <laughs> I love that part of the story. <laughs> Kids don't listen to that. Stay in school. Well, no, everything is done yeah. by trade, but th- that's what's so fascinating. You asked, um, you answered one of my first questions: is is how do you get on that? And when I said on the road, and it's your first job, so it's not like you know they went to I don't know some arbitrary the book of medicine and let's look at the top five chiropractors and who who has what ailments on the band and 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 who can we get? To, it's not like a baseball team where you have to get the right. It's like the right research is is in there. From your accent, I know you're you're not a northerner like me. No, no. Um, and, and speaking of accents, oh my gosh, did I catch flack from a California-based band? Because I grew up in West Virginia, then I went to school uh, out in West Texas at Abilene Christian University, and uh, I never had a chance. So by the time I'm on tour with Guns N' Roses, I, I talked. Um, like I'd just come out of the sticks, so, which I pretty much had. I mean, West Virginia's got a population of like 1.2 million people, and uh, Abilene, Texas had a population of maybe 100,000. So, uh, yeah, you're, it wasn't big city by any means, and sure wasn't Hollywood. Uh, so I had to learn to talk a, a little faster and a little different when I first started on tour with those guys. We had 1.2 million at some of our shows. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's an excellent yeah, point. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, and so I, I honestly just I got so lucky. I had a friend who was a um, big wig at the local amphitheater in Dallas. His name was Billy Morgan, and. Um, my uh, now ex-wife would cook him dinner uh, once in a while, and, and um, I might have run an illegal chiropractic acupuncture clinic out of the third bedroom of our house. I mean, <laughs> for ten bucks, I would try to get you feeling better. I should have gotten like Doctor Nick from the Simpsons sound clips ready. I should have gotten that. Yeah, right. Did you go to Hollywood Upstairs Medical College too? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and so uh, Billy called and says, "Hey." The, Guns N' Roses is in town, and uh, they need a chiropractor. Is it possible you could do it? And and, uh, the funny part about it all was that I had asked Billy a couple months before we'd had dinner and said, man, my favorite band, Guns, is coming to town. And is there any chance you could give us some free tickets? And he goes, "Uh, they don't have any free tickets. And 
And uh, I was I was a more than broke college student because I actually owed fifty thousand dollars in student loans. So uh, every dime counted at that point. So I didn't buy a ticket. But um, anyway, um, I was in my attorney's office discussing how to buy a practice south of town when Billy called, and and uh, so my wife called me at the attorney's office and. And uh, he was, he's a chiropractor, but he didn't practice. He practiced law. And uh, I looked at him. He happened to be the school's attorney as well. And I said, hey, I, I hope you're not going to kick me out of school for this, but this is the greatest opportunity of my life. Right. And is there any uh, – I've got to go. I, this, I, I'm, I'm, I hope you won't kick me out. And he says, come with me. And so we walked down the hallway, and I'm like, oh, my God, he's so stern. Uh, what's going to happen? And he opens the door to a spare office room in his, his office, and there's a portable chiropractic table. And he says, take that table. You'll get there a lot faster than if you go home and get your table. <laughs> God bless Rod Phelps, man. Uh, that's, that's who it was. And so off I went and, and went over in the um, – tour manager i worked on a few crew guys that night but the main guy they wanted me there for was uh axel's personal assistant a guy named blake stanton and uh he was too busy for me to to treat that night and so i went up to the tour manager and uh said uh, hey i haven't had my doctor cards made up yet but this is when i was a student but the same the number's the same so call me if you don't want me to come back hmm. for tomorrow night's show so i made it a little harder for me not to come back of course I come back the next night and and um, and ended up brought my wife with me. She counted seventy people in like three hours that that I adjusted. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> all the crew guys, all the band, all the band's wives, their girlfriends. Uh, you know, it was pretty chaotic in the little chiropractic office I'd set up there. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, right before the show starts, uh, Axel's personal assistant comes over and I adjust him. And, and he says, "Hey, Axel's uh, has talked to the band, and they all he they were telling him how good they felt after you treated him. And he was wondering if there's any chance you could stick around till after the show and treat him. And um, I'm just like, yeah, like I got anything better in the world to do than to treat Axel that's Rose. Cause you didn't, that's because you didn't realize how late the, some of those shows go, Doc. Mm. <laughs> oh no, not at all. Because I'm supposed to be at that." Uh, practice I'm supposed to be buying at seven o'clock the next morning. Oh no! So, <laughs> literally at five minutes till two, I see the tour manager because I'm hanging outside my office now, and I said, "Hey, is there any chance uh, you could tell me when Axel's going to want me to treat him? Because it's getting kind of late. It's five minutes till two o'clock in the morning." And he goes, "Oh, uh, let me check." And so he comes back over a minute later and says, uh, "Get your table and bring it over to Axel's dressing room." So. I do. I take it in the dressing room, set it up, and, and he couldn't have been more gracious. And you know, thank you very much for treating my crew, my band, and uh, I hope you can do something for me. And I'm like, be honored. What's going on with you? Well, my back's been hurting, uh, and so I, I did a, a few checks and um, ultimately helped some. And, and he sets up on the table, and he's like, "Wow, you really know your shit." I'm like, <laughs> "Well, for fifty thousand dollars worth of chiropractic education, I should." And, about Axel Rose is he loves a smart ass. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so we got a pretty big kick out of that. And he jumps up off the table and, and he says, wow, I'm going to go party with the band. Well, he had uh, a lady by the name of Susie London in the dressing room there uh, as a friend of his. And um, 
And so Susie looks at me, and she was, you know, I was 25 years old. She was like 40s, which seemed so old then. But now at 54, I realize how <laughs> actually young she was. And, uh, and so she looks at me and very sternly says, what did you just do to him? And I'm thinking in my head, wow, I'm not really even a chiropractor yet. I, I'm, uh, <laughs> what can she do to me? <laughs> so smart-ass reply number two comes out. And it's like, I just said his life force free. And she looks at me and she goes, wow, will you do me? I'm like, sure, get on the table. So I end up adjusting Susie, and um, a couple of days later, they called and asked me to come out on tour with them. So uh, I made some arrangements, and they had a plane ticket waiting for me at the airport. I met them in Salt Lake. And um, to wind this long story down quickly, um, three weeks later, we're at the L.A. Forum playing four shows, uh, pretty much the homecoming shows for Guns N' Roses, being from Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I go up to the tour manager and said, hey, uh, you know, John, I need to – I can stay longer, but I need to let some folks back home know what I'm going to do. You said it was only going to be two weeks. It's been over three now. Uh, do you know what the plan is? And he looked at me and he's like – Dude, you're never going home. You're one of us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hardly ever got out of Axel's sight after that, it seemed like. And and not that I mind it. Uh, I cannot say enough great things about how Axel Rose treated me and, and what a wonderful person he was to me. Mm-hmm. You know, this is just mind-boggling. Because, again, it's not like they, you know, pick from 1-800-DOCTORS and there's people on call. You know, how old were you at the time when this was happening? Because you said you were still in, in school or just... Yeah, I was I was 25, and I was, um, I was about two months away from graduation. I had done all the requirements that were required <clears throat> for my chiropractic education. And back then, you could take your um, state boards, uh, national boards before you graduated, and state boards before he graduated. So I had passed my Texas boards. I'd passed my West Virginia boards. Um, and the only thing I hadn't done was what I call serve my prison time because you mm. had to be in the public clinic 3,000 hours. And I, I completed everything I needed. I just had to stand in the clinic for another, like, 1,200 hours. Well, you got a clinic, all right, for two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure. <laughs> well, in all fairness, Brando, I'd like to interject for a second. Please. The one thing about Dr. Thaxton that makes him just the greatest is he cares. He loves people, and he asks the right questions, and he's such a good guy that you just you trust him. Like I, I mean, I broke my neck snowboarding. Nobody touches my neck. Doc does. When I see him, it's like I just, I'm putty in his hands because he's such a caring, loving guy that you just feel, okay, go ahead, Doc, whatever you want to do. Hmm. I will tell and you, you uh, God bless you, Doug. Talk. I mean, he's just a good guy. I will tell you this, um, going back to, I should have said it earlier, but Roberta Freeman says hello, by the way, Doc. And he's, oh, please return it. What a lovely, lovely person she is. I, on the outside and the inside. She goes, yeah. ask him if he remembers the, the time that he left acupuncture needles in my face after a gig. LOL. When <laughs> Axel says he had to go back and uh, he got flustered and forgot about me, tell him I forgive him and still love him. <laughs> God bless Roberta. Absolutely, I remember that. And, and I was morbidly embarrassed by it. But, you know, when Axel <laughs> said jump, I pretty much was like, how high? And uh, and you just never knew when he was going to uh, want to leave or, or do something else, go a different direction. So you, you treat people and treat
try to remember what you had going, but you know, suddenly he'd take off and you had to go too. Well, don't don't come out in time. <laughs> <laughs> well, in Korea they leave them in until they fall out anyway, so they would have. There you go. <laughs> like I said. <laughs> So what's the like? What is the day to day like? Because you obviously go on the course, and you are now. You have a practice in uh, in West Virginia, and you know my my dad was a dentist, so I kind of understand, you know, what the day to day is like booking patients and his staff. How does that happen on on tour? I mean, do you have to have a sign up sheet? Um, do you like what are you doing with the rest of your your time? Are you hanging out with the band? Are you like what what is the day to day like for a chiropractor on tour with Guns N' Roses? <laughs> well, I don't know what it's like now. Back then, <laughs> sleep deprivation was a total uh, necessity, and it was just going to be part of it. You just had to learn to live with it, um, and so. Um, Usually, uh, a day-to-day would go something like this. Um, you would try to like sleep as long as you could, but usually um, that would be short-lived because you'd been up most of the night before. And uh, so, Doug would go out golfing and early in the morning, and he would come back at about ten or eleven, and he'd call and say, "Hey, I was golfing. My back hurts. Come down to my room. So, <laughs> go take care, Doug." And then go back to bed for a little bit and then uh, hopefully uh, get up around one or two and try to go squeeze in a workout. The interesting part about when I started touring was that uh, I found that there were no hotel gyms. So we would uh, offer free tickets to like Gold's Gym employees or whatever if they just let us come down and work out at their gym a little bit. And so you try to get down to the gym, get a little workout in, and then um, sometime later in the afternoon – You'd have to uh, work on various folks uh, in the entourage, so to speak. And then uh, if it was not a non-show night, then um, you might uh, go to dinner and come back from dinner. And then uh, you might end up in uh, in a place uh, of a lot of fun for a 25-year-old male. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I got gotcha. you. So uh, at midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning, you might get back. And usually Axel will call and come down and go down and hang out in the room for a while and seems like uh, somewhere between 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. on those nights, he'd say, you know, I'm getting kind of tired. Uh, can you adjust my neck? I'm going to go to bed. So he's been like up all night, up all morning, adjust his neck, and he'd go off to bed, and you'd go back, and Doug would come in from his golf game. you get Doug sorted out and get your little nap, <laughs> off you'd go again. Oh, what, what, a, what a trip. So uh, in addition to Doug, like who did you bond with on tour? Because you were essentially going in as a stranger. It's like you're going to a sleepaway camp, and you're the new kid. You don't know anybody. I was a total stranger. And I got to tell you, the entourage welcome, because I, I really was. The tour started, I think, in May, and I joined them like July 10th. So uh, I, I bonded tremendously uh, with Jerry Gendron, who's the tour accountant, just mm-hmm. what a wonderful guy. He was a PhD in child psychology, and uh, but had become a rock and roll tour accountant, and had also played football for uh, pro football for the Miami Dolphins. So uh, I've been a wannabe athlete my entire life. So it was an easy. Oh, would you with quit with Jerry. a wannabe? We're going to get to your accolades later, buddy. Yeah, you're, aren't, aren't you like a crazy mountain biker or BMX or something? Now or a motorcycle? First, first he was uh, just missed the Olympics as a pole vaulter. Talk about that, Doc. Well, 
I was blessed. I was in the U.S. Olympic trials two times in 1984 and 1988, but would not take the drugs necessary to make the team. I can just say it that way. Okay. (laughs) nicest way I know how to say it. Um, And so then uh, I went on to – finish uh in my age group by the time i was 40 uh, as a in uh second in the nation as a mountain biker and then uh i've won four national championships as a, a dirt biker Jeez. over the last decade or so so i've been blessed very blessed but anyway so it was an easy bond with jerry right and um and then sabrina the the uh masseuse that was out with us wonderful uh girl just wonderful we we were truly like brother and sister so you know, within days, you start feeling like uh, you're part of the family. And um, and then uh, Blake Stanton was a good guy. And uh, and later on, he needed a personal assistant. So Craig Deucewalk comes on. And so now Axel basically had two personal assistants. And um, and so those guys were great. Um, Earl Gabadon, Axel's security. Uh, Earl and I hit it off early on and uh, couldn't have been better. Ron Stoniker was Slash's bodyguard at the time, and uh, Ronnie was wonderful. So you just um, – Doug one time said, you know, the great thing he had about the staff that he had put together was that um, a big thing that we were trying – or that he was trying to do was keep the drugs away from the band and that the staff that he'd selected were all clean, and the end result of that was – those guys lived because they may not have made it otherwise, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and no. They survived it, and it took a, it took quite the man to be able to figure out what staff was going to work and what was going to make that whole organization keep rolling. Because um, I don't know if Doug's ever said this. I haven't listened to your previous podcast, but we were paid every week, and the reason that we were paid every week is because that thing was so um, explosive. It could have blown up any day, and the whole thing could have been over. So mm. um, they wanted to make sure everybody got paid every week. Did you uh, did you sense that? I mean, obviously you sense that. Um, you are I get, you're treating them for different ailments, but when they came in, was there anything that you saw that worried you specifically? You know about some of the people that you were tending to. It's like, you know, I, yeah, I can help your back, but I can't help. You know, maybe the root of the problem if it's something that they're they're doing to their own body. Like, did you ever kind of have more like a, yeah. like a real doctor friend talk about certain things? I did that on a regular basis. Okay. But, you know, they're young too. They're 25, 26, 30 at the max. Um, you know, it was a two and a half year tour, so to speak. So, you know, they aged a couple of years while we were out there. Um, but you tried to talk about those problems on a regular basis. But when you're dealing with addictions, it's not something you can just talk somebody out of so easily they got to have the desire uh in their heart in their body and then an incredible amount of willpower and um at that point in their lives i don't think they saw it as a real necessary part of what they were doing um axel and i haven't spoken in 20 some years but during that time axel was clean and it was important for him to be clean and probably why he and I bonded so quickly. I mean, within a couple of days, uh, we, I felt like I was his brother, and we got super tight as a result of that. And, uh, but my non-drug stance and 
um, what I represented fit very well with what he was trying to do with his life at the time. Mm. And um, but the other guys, they they had different ideas. And um, I did tell one that I really thought that if he did not stop his abuse, um, he would not see 35 years of age. And uh, much to my surprise and delight, six months later, I get a phone call from him and he had cleaned up. He'd been clean and sober for a couple weeks. And uh, I'm not, well, that's great for a couple weeks, but <laughs> that's a tough thing to overcome. Sure. And that guy, as far as I know, has been clean and sober. His life has been, he's done great things with his life. And I'm so proud of him. Hey, Doc, I got, I got one for you. You know, when I built those eight-foot ramps, I never envisioned Slash and Axel jumping off of them. (laughs) Two-part. One, I'm sorry that I put that extra work on you. Two, how did they not just tear their bodies up jumping off the way they did? Right. Uh, uh, Truly mind-boggling to me. Uh, They came off of those ramps, uh, and, and, you know, in the show, in the heat of the moment, just – I guess all the adrenaline uh, must have really been beneficial to him because uh, to this day, I still think about on a regular basis coming off of those ramps, jumping. Um, it was pretty impressive athletic athleticism on both of their part. Yeah. really was. Yeah. Uh, and then you, add, and then you really add on top of it a heavy less ball around slash. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, I'm flabbergasted to this day and surprised uh, because I have watched uh, a few shows um, on TV and uh, at their age to move like they do to continue with that. It's it's very, very impressive. As as I said, I want to be an athlete my entire life. And, uh, man, it's impressive how those guys can still do what they do. What did you think about when uh, when Axel broke his foot and he had to go out in, in the throne? Like, could you have prevented that if he had you on staff, him breaking his foot? I say that facetiously, of course, but what did you think of as a doctor, you know, going through that? We saw that with Dave Grohl at first, but for someone like Axel, who does run around still, to just be sitting there and performing on this crazy throne? (laughs) Well, um, as I said, we haven't spoken in a couple decades, much to my... uh, uh, frustration, so to speak. I wish, uh, I wish we were still close. And, um, but the Axel I knew that must be incredibly frustrating to him because his physical performance was very, very important to him on the use your illusion tours. And I can't imagine how difficult it must be on his psyche to have had to sit there. As far as the broken foot, I have no idea what circumstances were around that or or how that even happened. I'm as ignorant to it as anybody else who. who Oh, I'm just having fun in the circle. Yeah, but yeah, no, I was just uh, having fun with uh, with just that hypothetical about doing it. But just again, I don't know if like how you look at things as as a doctor. Like I look at things differently as a broadcaster. It's hard for me to listen to a radio show or watch something on TV without analyzing it. I don't know if uh, you know. It's kind of like the Monday, Monday, uh, the backseat driver. I, I don't know if 
you know, dog is sometimes like, hey, you know what? I would manage this differently. I mean, I, yeah, I guess, because you have said right. that in the past. Oh, yeah, sure. So sure, I didn't yeah. know well, if... The last thing you want to ever do is sit in an airport with a chiropractor, because the guy's going to sit there and analyze everybody's gait and walk. <laughs> walk <past laughs> yeah. in the airport. Exactly, exactly. So, yes. Well, oh, hey, Doc, was that an airport and gate joke? I missed that one. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Two thirds of the pun, just be you. Oh I'll add in. Uh, I'll add in a drum. Um, you know, yeah, right shh, I'll add it in. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of airports and gates, I, I do remember uh, one really difficult situation we ended up in. Um, Axel was uh, dating Stephanie Seymour at the time, and. Her and her other model friend had rented a house for like a month. So each was staying there for two weeks with whoever they wanted to stay with. So Stephanie invited, invited her mother. So it was out on Montauk. Um, and so uh, she invited her mother and wanted Axel and I to come up. So we couldn't, uh, with shows going, we couldn't get up there till like Sunday night. So I think we had a show in, um, we had a show in, in New Orleans uh, at the uh, whatever dome that is, forgive me for not remembering. But Superdome. So yeah, Superdome was yeah, it back then? It would have been Superdome. Yeah. Okay, so I had a show at the Superdome on Saturday night, and then Sunday we're going to fly commercial up to New York and and go out and uh, spend a couple of days out of Montauk with Stephanie and her mother. And so I'm used to having Earl Axel's bodyguard around and personal assistants, so they. You know, kind of take care of everything, and I just kind of tag along, and it's all good. Well, for whatever reason, he just wanted me to come along on this one, which was fine. And uh, so we get to the airport and get the luggage out. Everything's going smooth, going through the airport. And we stop in a um, – he wants to go into, like, a, a magazine store, bookstore, or whatever. So we go in, and uh, within 30 seconds of getting in there, fans start <laughs> spotting him. Mm. And – Full-on chaos breaks out. Well, he's cornered. There's nothing he can do, and he's frustrated beyond description. He literally just sits down in the middle of this bookstore, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to keep fans off of him. It's it's pure <laughs> chaos. I finally, I think, begged, pleaded enough with the fans to make space for us to exit the, the thing and straight to the gate, and they put us right on the plane. God bless them. But, oh, my gosh, that was one difficult ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're too nice. Earl would have just walked through. <laughs> <laughs> you're probably right. You're probably yeah. right. <laughs> one, another mm -hmm. one like that I, it was such a complete shock to me. I actually wanted to go to dinner on Sunset one night. So we did, and, and after dinner, one of his friend's bands was playing at the Whiskey A Go-Go. So we... Uh, so we go to dinner, and and, um, and there's parking was limited at the whiskey. So he goes, you know, we're just going to leave the car here. We'll just walk up Sunset. And uh, I'm like, uh, okay, uh, let me call Earl. And he says, no, no, you and I will just walk up. And I'm like, well, uh, uh, let, me, let me call some security. He's like, no, no, we'll be fine. <laughs> so we start up Sunset Boulevard on like a Friday night, and there are mobs of fans that start spotting him from across the street. Traffic stops because they're crossing the street. Nobody's paying attention. There's a group following us. I'm not exaggerating. I bet by the time we got to the whiskey, there were probably 2,000 people in tow. Jeez. And I, I, I still remember a guy, like, right before we got to the whiskey, he drops down on his knees, does the whole I'm not worthy thing from, like, 
uh, Wayne's World. Yeah. And, and he's like, it's God. Oh, my God. It's God. And he starts doing the whole, like, bowing like Allah kind of thing. <laughs> uh, I'm like, probably Dave Mustaine from Megadeth, huh, Brando? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, Thank God the, the whiskey security guy saw us when we were probably 50 yards out or so and came down and helped get us in. But, oh, my gosh, I mean, that was just it, – it, it literally stopped traffic on Sunset for like five or six blocks. It was pure chaos. I keep thinking of that when the last scenes from Ferris Bueller when everything just went crazy and there's like a ran, random dance break broke out yeah, right. and traffic stopping and all yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it was like, except you know, it was 11 o'clock at night or something. And it was real. And it was real. Yeah, it was real, no doubt. Hey, Doc, do you have any, like, funniest moments, like just hilarious, that you can think of? Oh, man. Oh, you totally caught me off guard with that, Doug. Yeah, I thought it might. That's what a good reporter does. <laughs> good question, Doug. Thank you, buddy. Funniest moment I remember was, and the irony of it, I guess, is the funny part, is that um, we're playing a show in Bogota, Colombia. And uh, oh, there you go. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, that whole uh, that whole South American leg that time just turned into pure chaos. I mean, the, the we started in Caracas, Venezuela, and there was some religious group praying that, and a big rainstorm comes up and collapses the stage the night before the show, which they'd been working on the stage for like three days. So how do you get a stage back together after it collapses in a rainstorm? So somehow they figured out how to do that. But then just as we're finishing the show, there's a a, a coup for the government, and they're not letting any planes out. So Doug figured out some way to get us out, but now we can't get the uh, band and their um, – or we can't get the we got the band out, can't get the equipment out and the crew out. Yeah. So uh, by the time uh, so we had shows I think scheduled in Bogota for Monday and Tuesday night, and uh, and so this was like we were leaving on Saturday night. Have Sunday to get stage. The other stage was already partially built and you know moving on. And so, uh, but if we didn't have our amps and guitars and drum sets and all the things it takes to uh, make a show go, can't get it out. So. Um, Doug offers to, as I understand it, Doug, you were in the meeting. I wasn't, so correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. But he offers to the promoter to uh, to do the shows Tuesday and Wednesday night. And the promoter's like, no, 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 we'll just put them all in on one big show Tuesday night. And as I understand it, Doug's like, we can't do that. It's two showed out, sold-out shows at 80,000 people per night. Yeah. And um no, 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 it'll be fine. We'll just put everybody in on the show Tuesday night. Oh, you forgot so, the important course. part, Doc, and he wanted half the money back. Mm. <laughs> oh, I forgot about and that. I said, no. I wasn't oh, yeah. and I said, no. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, so, you know, they're going to do this one big show on Tuesday night. And, of course, um, earning more of the Guns and Riots reputation that night. Mm. Of course, they riot because only 80,000 people can fit in there and 160,000 uh, wanted in. So uh, it turns into a riot on stage. Uh, we'll get the band off. And uh, Axel's sister, Amy, what a wonderful, wonderful girl. She's a nurse. Really? And so she's you know looking, trying to help people. And there's this Colombian soldier who uh, in his military fatigues comes ends up backstage. She grabs him because he's bleeding profusely from his head. Mm. And she's like, 
Steve, Steve, can you sew him up? And, of course, being a chiropractor, I wasn't necessarily trained in stitching people up. But yeah. I stitched a few people here and there, including one band member one time. So um, I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. But I'm, I'm out of lidocaine because when we toured to a lot of third world countries, you, know, you just don't know what kind of medical care you're going to get. So sure. I carried various supplies. And I did have a sewing kit and, um, and, a, and a vial of lidocaine. But um, I, w- I had used it all previously, so I had nothing to numb this guy's head up. And so Amy goes, well, wait a minute. We're in Bogota, Colombia. Let's go get some cocaine. We'll throw it down in the wound, and it'll numb it right up. Oh, my God. Great idea. (laughs) An hour later, Amy comes back, and she's so distraught. Like, her head's hanging. Her shoulders are slumped forward. I'm like, Amy, are you okay? What's the matter? She goes, I've searched everywhere. I can't find any cocaine. <laughs> she wasn't asking the right band members. <laughs> yeah, maybe she should have asked the right band members. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. Poor soldier. He got his head sewed up without any anesthesia whatsoever. What a tough oh. oh, my goodness. Wow. That. Yeah. I'm glad you asked that, dog, because that that's a funny story. There's, there's so many elements to that. Because you're, right, you're a chiropractor. You're not used to sewing people up. Uh, the right. fact that she was smart enough, I guess, or clever enough, or MacGyvered her brain to think, like, let's use cocaine on this, you know, maybe. Right. And then I, I, I would to be a fly in the wall or to follow her around, like, who did, where was she going? She was going into different rooms, like Scooby-Doo style, asking different people for, <laughs> for, for coke and to be so dejected when she comes back. Wow. She's, uh, like, like Doc said, she's one of the sweetest people. Just a great gal. Amy's a doll. Yeah. So don't yeah, come Nobody really talks about the family members, you know, Stuart and Amy, but they're they're really good people. Really good people. Yes, or Slash's brother or all of the McKagans. Yeah, I mean, we, just great, great people. people. Great people. Yeah. Future episodes maybe, Doug, as you know, I've had a couple of uh, McKagan brothers. Yeah, the McKagan I, clan. Yeah. Uh, I got Slash's son. We'll see. Um, yeah. You know, at least now that I have well, a, a nice brother, resume. His tr- brother, Ash. I used to call him the king of cool. That guy's awesome, man. <laughs> He's <laughs> awesome. He's the best. Oh, well, now that I have a, a little bit of a track record with the interviewing family members, they'll, the, hopefully they'll know going forward, I come in peace because this band is so uh, is so crazy. Tell everybody what you're up to these days, bud. Oh, me? About your practice. Uh, and, yeah, Doc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, um, I've uh, been very active in state government uh, here in West Virginia. We've got the um, worst opioid in the state in the nation, and um, we pretty much have been the epicenter of the whole opioid crisis. And it's an embarrassment, but the shining light is we've been able to initiate some some changes in our state laws to – to try to curb it and ultimately, ideally, eliminate it. Because 82% of all uh, heroin addicts started with an opioid prescription from their medical doctor. And so, uh, especially being a chiropractor, I mean, this is what we do. I mean, they started on an opioid because they were in pain. And a significant portion of that time, it was from... Back, back, back pain. pain in particular, but neck and shoulder to follow. Yeah. So when you look at all of that, um, we're the obvious choice that we should be the first line of defense in these things. And so often 
the cases were not. Uh, the first line of defense is some kind of opioid intervention, which uh, can be addictive in less than five days. So we end up with a lot of addicts that never should have been that way in the first place. And then, of course, second, third, fourth time they go back to their medical doctor for more opioids, he's like, I can't give you any more. And what's the next best thing? It's the heroin on the street. And mm, so that's right. um, we've created a, a massive monster from this opioid epidemic. And, and what blows me away is that how many times in the history of mankind do we have to learn this lesson? The Chinese fought two different wars with the British because the Chinese had up to 90 percent of their population addicted to heroin, and the British were supplying it to them. So they go to war in the 1800s twice for this, and then some knucklehead medical doctor in the 1990s decides it's still okay to put people in pain on opioids, and off they go again. It's crazy if you do the research. It was 38 patients that he did the research on to determine it was okay to put people on opioids. Obviously, not a real study. Goodness, goodness. Yeah, yeah. We, we've talked about this with uh, with Doug before, everything that he does for, yeah, well, for Matthewshope.org. Yeah, I wasn't sure right. that Doc was going to take it in that direction, but Doc and I have been talking uh, quite a bit about working together. Uh, I'm currently uh, working quite a bit in the Ohio market, which is second in the country, and my next get-to is uh, is West Virginia. So Doc and I are going to be working, collaborating together on the opioid epidemic. Uh, we've been talking quite a bit about it in the past. I think that's 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 amazing that, that you're both uh, putting your your efforts into to that because I've spoken to to Doug, and I'm not going to bore you too much with my. My story, Doctor Steve, but um, you know I've had brothers addicted to to opioids, and thankfully, you know everyone's okay uh, now. Yeah. But my my dad, uh, I mentioned before, was a dentist, but when he started getting arthritis in his hands, just too much pain medication, and that led to you know his his depression, losing his life from uh, depression. So there's a lot of ways to uh, downfall. What you think is just a minor back problem, you know, yeah. uh, that can can lead down that path and to to kind of give back. I think it says a lot about you because you can just have your practice. Doug, I've said before, he can just live his life, you know, however he wants, but to dedicate it to a service, such a need uh, here, not just in the States because we have listeners everywhere. I mean, it's a problem everywhere. And people self-medicating and needing to go to the right doctor because people felt that way about antidepressants because I'm on that as well because it's so overprescribed. Uh, But to some people it is. To some people, it's not, and that's why you need a good doctor, whatever your ailment is. So that's why it's uh, knowing Doug put the right team together. He got the right people together, which I can't imagine how hard it was given your patience, but <laughs> the, the team yeah. was there. So I, it's, uh, I'm glad that you're in, that you're still doing that, and it's, I don't know, even though the, the cause is uh, a, a sad cause, um, it's a noteworthy cause, uh, but to kind of have like a use your reunion Doing such a, you know, you guys are kind of reconvened to do something like this uh, all these years, years later. It's just, it's really cool. It says a lot about you guys as people and as, and as friends. Well, yeah, well I, I, I love Doug. Respect, Good man. Well, well, I had immense respect for Doug right away and realizing the team that he'd put together to try to keep. Uh, the band was so volatile. When you have that sh- uh, unbelievable talent, I should say in one room that's going to be hard to keep that together and it didn't take a genius uh to realize that 
man, this, this thing is so volatile and so explosive because there is so much talent here. And, but what it did take was a tremendous team that could smother the fires when they rose to calm things down, to find ways uh, to mitigate the problems, to keep that band together, to keep things rolling uh, in the right direction. And it was just amazing to me. Uh, I had been I'd been fortunate enough, as I said, I was in the U.S. Olympic trials both in 84 and 88, but I failed to mention that uh, I was on the number one track and field team in the country for four years at Abilene Christian. We, even though we're a Division II school, we had many meets with the division, eventual Division I national championship teams, and we always won. And so I thought, man, being on the greatest track and field team in the country for four years – what a team that was and they were don't get me wrong but then i come out on tour of guns and roses and i see what doug has assembled and how passionate literally passionate every team member was about their specific job and it took that kind of passion uh to do that job properly i mean i'm like i sleep like nine hours a night now but back then (laughs) two and three was normal and i was okay with it it was wonderful to be um, with such a team, uh, and, you know, big old John Zucker, what a great guy, but man, that guy took great pride in his, his job and everybody out there did. I mean, it was so important. And I remember Sabrina, uh, having some of the same things as I did three or four o'clock in the morning and Axel's still up and his back's kind of sore. So she comes down and gives him a massage. I mean, she'd been in bed for three hours, but both of us talked about how funny it was that, that we didn't discuss it beforehand, but that we got in a habit of when the phone rang late at night and if we had been asleep, like wait another ring to try to make sure you talk to yourself so your voice does not sound gravelly like you've been asleep. <laughs> and we would do that. Yeah. Well, we yeah, because, I mean, that they'd woke us up. The, the reason why, yeah, the reason why is if Axel was such a nice guy and so considerate, if he thought you were sleeping, he'd go, oh, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right. Right, Doc? I mean, that's what you're alluding to, I think. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. He was so nice to us and so good to us that uh, you didn't uh, – he would be so worried if he thought he was bothering. So Serena and I would literally wait an extra ring, try to get ourselves together, answer the phone like, oh, no, we're, we're just sitting here watching TV. No, no, no problem. Be right there. And, <laughs> Yeah, that's what you try to do. But that was the pride yeah. people took in their job. That was how passionate they were about their job. And that's important. When you have that kind of pride and joy in your job, it's amazing what happens and the magic that can happen from that. Do you keep in touch with anybody? Because I know, um, you know, it bugs Doug that, uh, like, like, I don't want to speak for you, but you've said on my show before that, you know, you'll always love Axel even though you don't talk. Is mm-hmm. Do you talk to to anybody uh, still? I, I I know it's hard after all these years, but you never know on social media. Are you Facebook friends with any, with, with anybody from the team? I, I am to some degree. Roberta Freeman and I just connected a couple months ago. And all right. Very cool to, to <laughs> talk to her on Facebook. And so that's been wonderful. Um, I, I hate that I'm not in touch with any band members, although um, September of 17, I was in Rock and Rio and ran into Duff. And that was really cool. I, it was uh, addict to him to some degree because it brought back all those 
difficult memories from that oh. time in his life. Mm. But it was, uh, I spent about 10 minutes talking to him, and, and that was wonderful. Um, but unfortunately, um, you know, the, the rock stars are more than difficult to reach. And, uh, and the team, social media was just not part of that era of time. And now that it is, uh, we've just not touched base. Oh, John Zucker and I are still friends. So I should yeah, and, yeah, love Zuck. Uh, and Deuce Walt. Yep, we talked such a great guy. Well. Yeah, we love What's Craig. Any, um... oh, yeah, and Craig, Craig Deuce Walt and I still touch bases sometimes. Okay, all right. Uh, and I know we, we can't keep you both uh, here forever, so just a, a few more minutes. Um, what is your, I guess, your favorite memory? When you look back on it, is there anything that stands out in particular? It doesn't have to be anything, like something that's special to you, like maybe something that we don't think of, but something that you still, you know, think about every now and then. Yeah. Um, my favorite movie in the world is Dances with Wolves. Okay. Uh, and my wife runs a wolf rescue here at our house, so people get wolf hybrids and can't handle them, so we end up with them. So we love them, have low expectations and tons of love for them. But my favorite movie in the world is Dances with Wolves. And um, I remember after the last show, um, Doug had arranged for two shows in um, Buenos Aires, Argentina, to finish the tour. And I remember uh, coming out in the hallway after the second show, and, and uh, we all got separate flights home. I'm heading back to Dallas, where I lived at the time, and they're heading back to L.A. And um, I walked down to Axel's room and um, said goodbye. And in the last scenes on Dances with Wolves, there's the, there's the uh, Native American on top of the mountain screaming how much he uh, respects and loves his friend. And uh, I remember... Axel and I both kind of felt that same way, and um, that's probably the most special memory I, I I have from that whole tour. I mean, there's a ton of memories, but knowing how much you care about somebody and they care the same about you, um, that's you can't you can't buy that kind of of love for one another, mankind. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, is there any way, because I'm sure you have your clientele, but who knows? Guns N' Roses fans are crazy. You, they, you might get people that fly in to just want to get their back fixed by uh, somebody who was with Guns N' Roses. So is there you know, a website people can reach you or just Google any way to, you know, people may want to yeah. talk to you? Uh, usually that, that'll bring it up, but uh, because I toured with, with Guns uh, for that, two plus years and then on with Bon Jovi uh, for, well, it's been over 25 years now. Wow. Um, anyway, I, so I named my practice worldwide chiropractic and sports medicine. And it's funny because I'm in a little old small town and a little old state. Um, and, uh, and I've had patients go, why on earth did you name your name, your company worldwide chiropractic and sports medicine? I'm like, cause I've toured the world and <laughs> do it right here in little Sissonville, West Virginia as well. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to play this, uh, for you, Doug, this last question, just okay. so, um, you know, we can't have Doug Goldstein on and get no stories from you. So, and, and maybe <laughs> you've got stories. Yeah, Stephen could uh, could add to it. So, uh, I believe she says her name at the beginning of it. Okay. Hi, Doug. Uh, my name is Jenna. I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and uh, I know you've been doing this a long time. 
And uh, from my history of the band, you know, I've read a lot of stories, a lot of things that happened on the tour. So I just wanted to know, from your perspective, what was one of your favorite moments being uh, being a manager for GNR? Yeah, Jenna has a good question. I mean, it, 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 easily for me, it's standing on the stage at the first Rock and Rio because we'd been through so much. Um, and to stand there in front of 225,000 fans and not a blonde in the bunch, right? And uh, and they know the music and they're jumping up and down. And that was uh, like a proud moment. I mean, it was just amazing to stand there and think, you know what, maybe maybe I had some doing in, in putting this together. Um, yeah, that was, I mean, that's probably my, my, yeah, easily my most favorite memory. Um, that and, and, uh, the secondary would be, pardon me, the Freddie Mercury tribute. Um, but for different reasons, that was just because it was everybody who's anybody was at that show, um, in music. So yeah, those are the two easily. All right. Right on. Uh, so Dr. Steve. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I mean, I feel like I can talk to you. It's so funny because I can talk to Doug for hours and hours, but now I feel like I can talk to the chiropractor for hours and hours because we just only got some stories uh, from you. We didn't even get into, you know, to Bon Jovi. I know uh, Axel may not be the biggest fan. I don't know if that – was that anything – you know any truth to that? Like, would Axel joke uh, around? Let's, not, let's, not, let's stop right there. All right. <laughs> All right. I won't start anything. I don't want to cost Dr. Steve his job. You got to remember, both of them. Not fair, Brando. <laughs> Touche. Touche. Yeah. I may or may not edit out my question, but you do not have to answer it. <laughs> you don't have to. You don't have to. You can you can so leave it in there with me saying, No, let's not do it. Oh no, I am. I am. That's what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You know me. You know me. I got your back, Doc. <laughs> Thank you, Doug. Hey, who got you that job with Bon Jovi, buddy? It's a difficult situation. It, yeah, I can't comment on that. How'd you get the Bon Jovi job? Um, well, great great question. Okay. So we're uh we got a day off in um Guadalajara, Mexico. Uh rhythm guitarist that had stepped in for Izzy Stradlin, a guy named Gilby Clark, who was a wonderful guy. Um Gilby had flown home, oddly enough, now that I race dirt bikes, it's so funny uh when I tell this story because it's what I do. Thank goodness uh, I've been relatively healthy and, and not too many injuries. But Gilby flies home for a celebrity motocross race in LA. <laughs> Crashes and breaks his wrist. <clears throat> and so we get news of that. And uh, so we're like trying to figure out all right, we, well, the tour obviously has to be uh, postponed for a month while Gilby gets his wrist healed up. And um, Doug, come, we're, you know, figuring out were we leaving that afternoon or staying another night in Guadalajara, what are we going to do? And Doug comes down to my room and says, hey, Steve, um, Paul Corzelius with Bon Jovi just called me, and they want you to come out on tour. So, uh, man, I don't know what to tell you. I know Paul can be really difficult to deal with, and um, <laughs> but this is an unbelievable opportunity. Nobody, like, gets a job while they're on tour. It just never happens. You don't go from one tour to the next. And, of course, I'm a total newbie because this is my first and only tour I'd ever been on and didn't realize, yeah, you sit home for months at a time quite often. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, making a living in the music business. And so uh, Doug's really ecstatic and excited. Of course, I'm excited about the opportunity also. And um, he, he says, uh, so, yeah, I, um, I think before you do anything, you should go down to Axe's room and just 
make sure that he's okay with it. And uh, I'm like, okay, sure, no problem. And you go, and so um, I'm thinking, all right, I'll I'll go to maybe a, if Axel's okay with it, I'll go to Europe for uh, three weeks with them, and then we're going to start the Guns and Moses tour. Doug probably named it that. I'm literally wearing a Guns and Moses T-shirt right now. Attaboy. Oh, you got a gun. You got one on? My my brother got it uh, from for me in Israel on birthright, so I'm literally wearing it right now. That's too funny. That's hilarious. Yes, because that's where we met. Like, uh, once the first show back on tour was in Israel, yep. so we called it the Guns and Moses. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> How funny that is. Um, so anyway, uh, so that's what I'm thinking, and I'll just uh, I'll go to Europe. Uh, meet Bon Jovi over there, work with him for three weeks, and then as uh, soon as they get to Israel, I'll fly down to Israel and, and finish up the tour with Guns N' Roses. And so, um, and so I go into Axel's room and uh, you know explain what's happened and, and see if he's okay because as I said, he he rarely let me out of his sight. You know, like we go back to L.A., uh, he would go to his place in Malibu or when he had a house in the Hollywood Hills for a while, and I go to my hotel room, but. Every day, I'd have to be at Axel's house for however long he wanted me there, and uh, and that's not a complaint. I was happy to do that. But anyway, uh, I go down to his room, and he says, um, "All right." I explain to him what's going on. And, uh, he sits there for oh, like thirty seconds, uh, like you know that dead silence. You're like, "Oh man, is he just going to flip out and go nuts <laughs> on me, or is he, uh, what's going to happen here?" And he looks up at me and he grins and says. I know why you want to do that. You want to say, I've seen a million faces, and I've adjusted them all. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, it was hilarious. You know, of course, we bust out laughing, both of us, and things are fine. And I take off for Europe and start in with Bon Jovi for a few weeks. Oh, brilliant. Oh, I, I love it. Dr. Steve, you're, you're always welcome back uh, anytime you, wa- you want to talk. Uh, same thing with Doug. Uh, I mean, not just to talk about Guns N' Roses, but to talk about the uh, the opioid crisis, because that's what we, you know, I do here on the podcast. Yeah, it's a um, GNR is only in the center of our universe, and so we and I guess use that as a jumping yeah. off point to talk about addiction, depression, or to meet people like you that may not know your story and just to get a little taste of it. Uh, I was enthralled the entire time, and you seem like a uh, Doug was right. You're. You know, I told you you'd love my buddy. Yeah, no, you were right. And uh, Roberta said the same thing. I'm like, Roberta, do you know Dr. Steve? Love him. Yeah, tell him I said. And I read her, read you her message. Oh, so, uh, so nice. Every, yeah, every, it all uh, came to fruition. You know, uh, so much appreciated. I, I appreciate you, uh, you taking the Thank time, you, Brando. Yeah. So, uh, and of course, uh, dog. Thanks. Uh, anything you need to update us on with uh, with Matthew, Matthew's hope? Any appearances you'll be doing, or anything? Uh, any way anyone no, can no, just, contribute? Uh, start looking for our PSAs in Ohio if you're there. Uh, www.matthewshope.org. Uh, love uh, any contributions that can come our way. We are a nonprofit, so if you go online, you feel like uh, throwing us two bucks, that'd be great. Um, all the money's uh, there to save lives. That's uh, nobody's making any money at this. We're just trying to trying to do that. So, right on. Well, I appreciate you Thank both. You very much, I appreciate you both. Brandon, thank you for this opportunity. Very grateful for that. No problem. I mean, I, I look at it as an opportunity for me. It, you're, you're giving me uh, cool content, and uh, so so I appreciate it. And uh, Well, thank you. Okay, good night, you guys. Good night, Dr. Yeah, Steve. Yeah, love you, buddy. Bye, guys. Love you, too. Brando, Bye. Thanks, buddy. Bye-bye. Later, Doug. How cool was that? I don't know where this podcast is going to go. 
when the former manager of Guns N' Roses says, hey, let's do a radio show with the chiropractor from Use Your Illusion, you don't say no. You're, you may raise your eyebrow and be like, really? But, yeah, really, you just heard how cool of a dude he is and what, what kind of stories he has to talk about. And he's just a regular person, just like you and I, that was whisked away on tour. <laughs> what a dream scenario. And the fact that he's still able to do uh, something like that uh, with Bon Jovi, in addition to having his, his normal practice. But uh, to me, this, this episode was really displays what I, I want to do here. Talk Guns N' Roses and meet and, and discover some of the unsung heroes and stories that we haven't heard over the years, you know? Uh, obviously, it would be wonderful to be uh, to have interviewed Axl Rose 101 times, but I can't do that. So my 101st episode <laughs> included a chiropractor. I, entertaining, nonetheless. Uh, so that does it for episode 101. What is on the way? Well, just verified, uh, again, with Susan Holmes McKagan. Uh, her, her new book, I believe, is going to come out in April. Hopefully, we'll speak to her before then. Uh, we shall see, because I want to talk to her about her book, the work she does uh, with the Special Olympics, and, of course, GNR. Duff. See where that conversation goes as well. Um, still trying to follow up with, and, I, and I've said this before, I hate announcing guests before it's official, but I, I take it as you give me a yes not once but twice, I can announce it and start hyping it. Um, but... You just don't know people's schedules, so I'm still hoping for Missy Suicide from the Suicide Girls. Uh, I haven't heard back in a while, uh, of course, setting up. Uh, she was in charge of setting up the Suicide Girls tour with GNR, I believe, back in 06. Uh, it was, I saw them with Sebastian Bach and GNR up in Ottawa. Um, also, uh, who else do I need to follow up with? Well, I, I, I can't reach Polly Shore. Couldn't get past the second email. I'm, I'm kind of heartbroken about it. I'm going to keep following up because I want to talk to fucking Polly Shore really bad. Uh, Rob Caggiano from Volbeat. Uh, that's going to be a yes. I'm going to wait to uh, when they go out on tour with uh, Godsmack. So that's uh, going to be the timing of then. A lot of this is timing, which is why it's just been so cool to be able to do this pretty much weekly for a few a few years now to do this podcast for a few years and again to be in the triple digits now it's quite amazing a lot of other ideas for guests uh, many of you give them to me and, and it's more than welcome I encourage it you know whether you, you post something public whether you, you DM me on Facebook facebook.com slash the AFD show or on Twitter uh, at the AFD show or some of you even inbox me on my GNR forum uh, dot com my username there is uh, gambit83 Gambit was my favorite X-Man. Um, and just your reward, if you get me a guest, uh, just like the, the fan who got me Rob Caggiano, he's going to be the co-host. That's how it works. You know, if you kind of do the, yeah, I can get guests on my own, of course, but I want this to be a collective. And I want you to feel part of this. I could say podcast, sure, technically, but I, I want you to be a part of this radio show. I want this to be different than... Not just the GNR aspect of it, because you know we're the premier Guns N' Roses podcast, but to get the listeners involved with not just questions like you heard. That's something else, too, going forward. Uh, when I announce a guest, yes, you can submit a question um, on social media or just send me a quick voice note on your smartphone. You know, voice memo, 
uh, works really well. So that's what I did today with Doug. You know, so you can we can hear your voice on the AFD show and add some more production value. And the rock stars or the managers, or the chiropractors can hear hear your voice as well. I think it adds a a pretty cool element to it since it's not a call in show. You know, and even when radio does call in shows, do you ever get to ask? You know, the star they're interviewing the question. No, it's like sports radio. You just talk to the host. So um, I want to make this grow in that way, too. Again, all centered centered around Guns N' Roses, of course, with our six degrees of GNR bacon. Anyway, when is the next episode of Appetite for Distortion going to happen? Well, whether you find us on AlternativeNation.net, iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, um, I may be forgetting Google Play. Yeah, whether you, any of those, please follow and subscribe. But when are you going to see it? In the words of Axel Rose concerning Chinese democracy, you'll see it. I don't know if soon is the word. No! Fuck it! No! Thanks to the lame-ass security, I'm going home.